Berserker Cast, episode number six, Mind Wars Review. Golden Spiral Media presents Berserker Cast, a podcast dedicated to falling skies on TNT. Each week we discuss the action and drama that unfolds as Tom Mason, Captain Weaver, the Berserkers, and the rest of the Second Mass fight to win back the planet from the alien overlords. Call in your thoughts about each episode at 304-837-2278 or email feedback at goldenspiralmedia.com. And now, Berserker Cast. Welcome back to Berserker Cast. I'm Daryl. And I'm Emily. How are you tonight? I'm doing great. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. I've had an awesome week so far, even though it's Tuesday. Like you said last week, I was, oh, right. it's been a terrible week, but it's only Tuesday. <laughs> it's only Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. I've had a great week and it's only Tuesday. I hope your week has been better this week. It has been fantastic. This has been a good week. Good. Gotten a lot done. Family was in from out of town today. That's why we're a little bit late on the podcast today. I got to hang out with my cousins from Boston, who I don't get to see very often. So oh. just always puts me in a good mood. My my face just hurts from laughing and smiling <laughs> for the last three hours. So oh, and <laughs> you're gonna laugh and smile for residual. the next hour yeah. ish, hour and a half, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. There's a, there. I mean, this is a comedy. Right? Mm-hmm. We Falling try to skies. make it. I try to throw some jokes out there from time to time. Yeah. Sometimes they. Land, sometimes they don't. Like I told one in um, stuff I learned yesterday a couple of days ago, and then I followed it up with, go ahead and let that joke sink in for a minute. And then like the, my wife listened to it, not not the day it came out, but the next day, and then she, she said, um, that joke that you said I should have got in the podcast, I didn't get it. What was it? And I told her it was a joke, and she said, oh, I yeah, I, I did get that. It wasn't funny. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's the way well, it is. Yeah. We we were talking about this today because my family has always been told that once we enter the real world, we're yeah. going to realize that we're not funny because <laughs> we all just like laugh hysterically at each other's jokes, but Yeah. I I am of the mind that if you laugh hard at your own jokes, you'll never be laughing alone. <laughs> well, I do laugh hard at my own jokes. Oftentimes I'm I'm laughing alone, but at least I'm laughing. So, yes. you know, laughter is the best medicine and I'll just stick with that. Yes, right up there next to a spoonful of sugar. Mmm, the spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. Yeah, but it's also happy. It's a tonic. Is that right? I thought you were going to break just, out in a song, right? That was your moment. That was your I moment. You I stepped out sing. of the spotlight. I don't sing. We've gone over this. I'm pretty sure we've gone over I this. I think we have, but I just keep hoping to coax it out of you. Okay, well, back to uh, <laughs> what, what podcast are we doing here? On. I was almost going to say the Fringe Podcast. Yeah. Let's talk <laughs> about no. Falling Skies, Falling season skies. four, episode five, that aired on July 20th, 2014, entitled Mind Wars. This uh, episode was directed by Nathaniel Goodman and written by Bruce Marshall Romans. But before we get into that, I think we have some exciting news to talk about. We don't talk about a whole lot of news on this podcast, but this is the type of news that we can't pass up. Seriously. We, well, it's been all over the interweb, so unless you live in the middle of a garden pond or underneath a rock, you will have known (laughs) that uh, Falling Skies has been renewed for a fifth and final season. 
Yeah, how do you feel about that? You know, it's sad that it's its last season, but, you know, everybody just keeps saying it's going to end on its own terms. Mm -hmm. And it's a very Spielberg thing to do. They're not pushing their luck. And it's a very expensive show to produce. Yeah. You know, Greg Beeman says it in his blog over and over and over. And, and so just being able to end it on their own terms, being able to bring us to a nice conclusion. You know, I, I, I have no qualm with that at all. Yeah. To know when it's time. It's bittersweet for sure, because you see the ending of one of your favorite shows coming to an end, but you mentioned it ending on your own terms. But I'll also say that. It feels right. Five seasons yeah. feels right. Could they drag it on for another two? I'm sure they could, and I'm sure that we would enjoy it. But yeah. at the same time, five seasons kind of feels right. So I'm mm. I'm okay with it. Yeah, I, I think so too. Five, five, five is a good number. Five is a good number. And after having podcasted for two seasons on Revolution and one season on Almost Human, and both of those shows just ended rather abruptly, didn't get any type of resolution it's a it's a good feeling to know that this this show is going to get some resolution that that's there's so much appreciation in that and that even more appreciation than i had when fringe got to end on its own terms which i did appreciate but now having podcasted over two other shows that didn't get that i appreciate it that much more yeah and and you know hopefully it's not going to be like we're we're led down this really steep cliff or let up the steep cliff only to find that it plateaus at the top but you know we we want to i don't want to i don't want to get my hopes up too high because i feel like that's what a lot of people did for fringe and were let down i was not one of them but i think that's often where people go with that yeah and i can i can see this not ending well and but i i think that with this amount of time i mean i'm sure they've produced all of season four you know they can't go back and change anything right. but but at least seeing it as a whole, they've got a much better chance of, of giving us a really good conclusion. So I'm very excited for that. Yeah. And all the seasons of Falling Skies have been, have been 10 episode seasons, except for the one we're currently on. It's going right. to be a 12 episode season, right? I, yeah, 12, I think 13, maybe. I think it's 12. It's either 12 or 13. Uh, but next season, which will be the final season, will be another 10 episode oh, it will. season. Okay. So, I did not see that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yep. All right. Well, let's talk about tonight's episode or this week's episode entitled Mind Wars. Let's start it with some uh, feedback that we got from some of the listeners. Cool. Bags wrote in or, or called in and uh, she had some thoughts on the brainwashing thing that we were talking about last week. Okay. Hello, this is Bags, Bags, Bags or <laughs> just Bags or Bags Cubed. I thought that was funny. But anyway, just Bags for short. Um Anyone can be broken regarding the brainwashing. Uh, anyone can be brainwashed. It's not uh, being weak-minded or disciplined. In fact, um, special forces, uh, when they, at least according to the movies, when they go into uh, behind enemy lines, if they're captured, they're taught that um, through torture they will break. Um, everyone breaks, and they usually have information that they can give their captor. Um, just think Theon from Game of Thrones. He was broken and tortured to the point where he does not know what reality is. And that's probably what happened to Team Leader. 
I don't watch Game of Thrones, so I'm not sure who Theon is. I know who Theo is from the Cosby show, but maybe that's like this similar character. I'm going to go with no. <laughs> I will say, though, Sydney Bristow was never broken, so there is hope for uh, the world. You know, she, yeah. she has a good point, though. Anybody, I think I, I, had even, I, I had said last week, maybe it has something to do with being weak-minded, but that was kind of mm-hmm. a foolish thing to say because it's, it's not about the strength of your mind. It's probably more about your will. I guess, and if maybe so, and your will can eventually be broken. I suppose. Hopefully, we won't get to that point. We only have five seasons, so hopefully, their will can last through then. Yeah, I think it will. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, uh, Bags Cubed. Uh, Mark also called in. He has some thoughts on the overall storyline. Now that some of these story arcs are kind of coming together. I really enjoyed this episode, and I think it's because the separate storylines we have, I feel invested in them now. First time this season that I'm invested in all the storylines. I'm glad that we are out of the Nazi boot camp thing that uh, Matt was in, because as I mentioned before, I was not enjoying that storyline. But now I'm enjoying all these storylines, and it's just making the show much more enjoyable for me. Yeah, I agree, don't you? That, oh, that now totally. that Matt's kind of back with Tom and Weaver, that that alone is really kind of given a, a better feel. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it just, it, it always feels so weird when certain character arcs are slighted just because there's not enough there to really mm-hmm. fill out an episode. And so I, I like, I would feel bad for not wanting more of that story because it's not that I never didn't like Matt. It was just, <laughs> right. we, we get what's going on there. You don't need to spend a whole lot of time there, but. Yeah, no, I totally agree. You get more invested and then you also realize that there's even more investment there because you suddenly care about those relationships again. I mean, you care about them getting back together, but just that whole dynamic between Weaver and Matt was just phenomenal this week. Mm-hmm. I really liked that. Yep, definitely. And and also with Tom now being reunited with one of his sons, and of course we got a new new angle on that this week as they were separated again but yeah it it definitely feels good to have all these guys back together again the gang's back together (laughs) yeah and barb before we uh we'll we'll get into our stuff here in just a sec one more before we do barb called in and had a comment about the writing of this episode total kudos to the writers this week the dialogue was both touching and poignant as in the scenes with weaver and matt and absolutely hysterical with the litany of one-liners that we got from team hal my favorite funny was delivered by Sarah. I want to take my end of the world anger out on someone other than a guy like you. I'm really looking forward to more interaction between Sarah and Pope. Bring it on. Yeah, I don't know. I, I did like the writing. Um, we'll talk about the Sarah Pope thing when we get there. Uh, so I, I will agree with at least a portion of her opinion at this point. <laughs> but I thought the writing was good. All right, well, let's get into our conversation here on the episode and start our conversations with Team Tom. Well, we pick up with Tom and the team very quickly on. They, it looks like they've been traveling for about three days, haven't eaten anything, and Matt, Matt starts this thing where he, do, he does it at least once, maybe twice more throughout the episode where he prevents his dad or prevents someone else from killing something else. And in this case, it's just a rabbit, which I found a little weird. Not, well, maybe not weird, but just interesting because he's been in this brainwashing camp where they haven't been promoting violence by any means. They've 
probably mostly been promoting, uh, peaceably bringing in people in order to brainwash adults. But um, coming off of his stint in the brainwashing camp, I'm not sure if I find this appropriate or overdone. And, th- and there were a lot of things that I, f- I felt like were overdone in this episode, which is kind of why I gave it a little bit lower rating than the last couple weeks, mm-hmm. even though it was a very good and strong episode. But they're, they're really trying to bring something up with Matt, and I'm not exactly sure I'm knowing what they're trying to aim for. Yeah, and I got the same vibe that Matt's not quite... Right. Yeah, there's something there's something different about him, and I don't know if he has a different appreciation for things or if he has if some of the brainwashing was kind of sinking in. I'm not sure, but th- there was definitely the bunny was a scene that was like, hmm, that seems a bit odd. You haven't eaten in three days. Yeah, you've been eating animals and stuff for three years now, so right. I don't know what caused that. Yeah, this is definitely not the first time they've shot something else in order to survive. So why now? Right. And and what's going to be any different when they get back to the warehouse? But on the other hand, maybe maybe they haven't been eating for three days because he keeps preventing his dad from shooting something, <laughs> albeit, so. albeit with a handgun. Yeah. So when they get to this, when they get back to the warehouse, Tom is able to immediately decipher Hal's message, and we find that Hal had actually left a code for them to pick up on, right? Mm-hmm, right. Which, it seemed like it was coordinates. That's what I was going to say. It looked like map coordinates, like uh, map grids or something, like oh, for the map that they left behind. Yeah, sure, sure. I see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I thought maybe they were going to leave the, the signal open or something so that they could just tune back into the frequency and hear Lourdes's voice. <laughs> yeah, which they did, which also turned into a little plot device, if you will, for the skitters and the overlord to find or to hear, you know, kind of detect that they were there. Oh, but do you think that is what drew them in? I do. Yeah. Okay. So why, why would turning on the radio at that point have drawn them in, but not when Hal and Dingan, Dingan did it? I think that these, well, we knew that the skitters and stuff were on their way to that location. So I think that okay. they had we're probably in the area closer to the area now and you know tom turned it on or or whichever one of them did and and they heard it and it drew them specifically to their location within the warehouse okay that makes more sense because i was going that is really convenient that everybody just kind of arrived there at the same time <laughs> Mm-hmm. well it's still a little bit convenient that they did i mean because they had the ashvini been there a few minutes before they would have already been waiting on them when they arrived so there's definitely still a little bit of coincidence there but I'm okay with all that. Right. I think the most interesting thing is that Tom is really a wanted man. And it, and it kind of, I think that's one of the things that this episode served a purpose. And like, you know, the, the very last scene with the two, uh, Eshveni talking last episode made it very clear that Scorch wants Tom dead or alive, (laughs) not just Mm -hmm. for trying to burn him alive, but probably for the chaos that he is wreaking on all of the humans, disrupting all their plans. They have to feel that if it wasn't for Tom Mason, they probably would have been a lot more successful in their efforts so far. Right. Yeah. Did you get the Croatoan reference? Did you do any research or were you already familiar with the Croatoan, what what that would have meant? How? I did not do any research. And Tom would have, yeah. Uh, It's a, it's an, 
it's a word that I was familiar with, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. So I did a little research. It's in North Carolina, one of the original U.S. or not U.S. One of the original uh, British settlements uh, was taking place there, and and there was a group of people that were staying. Gosh, I just had it while you were talking. The island, uh, I want to say Roanoke, but that, that may. Oh not yeah, that quite sounds right. right. Okay, and th- that while someone had left for supplies, the people relocated and they left Croatoan um, carved or or written somewhere so that when they returned, they would know that they had gone to a different location where they once were, which was Croatoan, a different island. And they were supposed to leave some sort of Maltese looking cross carved into a tree to give a further indication on whether or not they left because of a threat or whether or not they left because of a more of a peaceful reasons. And there was not a Maltese cross found, which was an indicator that indicator that they left for peaceful reasons, but they were never really found for, for reasons I didn't really dig into the article uh, in depth <gasps> enough to know why they didn't really go after them. They were like, Oh, it was peaceful. Okay, fine. And they kind of left it at that. So it's still kind of a mystery as to actually what did happen to them. Interesting. That's kind of that's kind of a funny parallel just in terms of how they left things in the previous episode and that they weren't reunited in this episode. Hmm. I like that. And Barb's who is in the chat room, she's reminding me too that it's called the Lost Colony. Oh. And it's it's really interesting. There's a lot to it that like I said I did, for the sake of time I didn't get into, but it sounds like it's a really interesting story to uh to read. There's been books written about it too. Cool. I will have to put that on my yeah. list. I know you like to read, I so do. you read about it and tell me about it later. Okay. Deal. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get the Emily Notes version. <laughs> All right. So th- at this point, they do escape. I, I did like how the, the skitter was fooled by Tom's uh, distraction. The overlord was not punched the skitter in the face. Like, you <laughs> idiot. Did you fall for that? This is what we get for harnessing aliens. That's right. This lesser being. (laughs) Idiots. Uh, They do get away, though, and Cochise is off again. He's going to go try to find the the power source, I guess, is his thing that he keeps doing, right? Was it the power source, or or did he say his recon team? Or are they... Because I thought that he was going after the team that had gone with Hal thinking that maybe they had split up. Yeah, and and they might have. They you know, they may end up realizing they're back at the same spot, but um I don't know. I thought he was going after the after more information on the power source. I'm okay. not sure how many Volm groups there are. Yeah. You know, he may be trying to manage multiple groups. I'm not I'm not I'm a little foggy on that. Okay. We'll have to, I'll have to go back and watch that. I only got to watch it okay. one and a half times. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah, so, you know, and Cochise splitting off, I can kind of see this, you know, he probably, there's probably just not enough for him to do with Tom there, and he probably has some sort of obligation to whatever mission he's actually been sent to Earth for <laughs> the second time around, but, man, I think the Volm just have to decide what their mission is here. Team up with the humans, or do it themselves? Mm, yeah, I don't know, do they? I don't know. It just feels like there, there's really, they haven't, they haven't defined a purpose for them. And so it feels like they just kind of come and go as they need the character in there. 
Well, there's got to be something going on because they've introduced this new Volm character, Shaq. And right now, Shaq is getting more screen time than yeah. Cochise is. So that's got to be for a purpose that's going to pay off you know, on the back half of the season. Yeah. I, I totally I would I would totally believe that there is something else going on. I just <laughs> wish that it wasn't so it's not even mysterious at this point. It's really like they're purposely leaving things out. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I want to be drawn more into that Volm story because they they've been intro- introduced to us as as more a peaceful alien species than the Ashveni and naturally mm-hmm. you just feel inclined to want to know what's going on with them and you know because we just get very little about what their mission is and who all is coming back what their people plan on doing i don't know maybe it's just because i'm interested in them (laughs) yeah i I, i'm confused as well like i said because there's got to be more than one group there's got to be yeah than just the uh the the shack group so um because the shack group doesn't really seem to be going after the power source right they seem to be working with hal Although uh, that's not quite true, I guess, because even though they're together, it was more uh, they were together after last week's episode because they were going to the same spot, not necessarily because they were, the Volm were working with them. Right. It was kind of a happy accident that they were both going in the same direction. Right. Right. So, hmm. Hmm. Yeah, you might be right. Maybe, maybe Cochise should be heading for the same direction as Tom. I don't know. I'm confused. Uh, me too. Bummer. Okay. Well, if you're confused, then <laughs> I don't feel bad. Well, then we bring our heroes, enter a camp with a couple mm-hmm. brothers. Mm-hmm. And thus begins a very interesting couple of minutes of actual television. Okay, so we, we have <laughs> we have Nick and Coop. Nick right. used to work for Goldman Sachs. And, and again with the details, you know, a couple weeks ago with... Sarah, it's Sarah, right? Yeah. Okay, Sarvino's character. Uh, mm-hmm. Just with the details, I just love these little pieces of their history because it's like you can immediately understand pieces of them without needing to know anything else. And that's very cool. Yeah, and Tom, Tom really picks up on that too. He he kind of assumes some things about a person who had worked for Goldman Sachs and. It works to his advantage, I guess. But right. yeah, it, it definitely helps us uh, figure out who these people. And it, everyone's got a story. Everyone yep. was something before they were an alien avoider or <laughs> an alien killer or right. an alien conspirator or, or co-conspirator, whatever it is that role they're playing now. So yeah, it's fun. When were you first suspicious of these guys? Immediately. Okay, good. Before they even said, "Hey, let's go over there." As soon as. Weaver said bogeys. It was like, go the other way. Have we not learned anything over the last four seasons of this show? I know. You know, there's never anyone that you're going to come across that is friendly. Weren't the pickets enough for you? Right, exactly. The the pickets should should be fresh in their mind. But yeah, maybe they thought, hey, these people might be some that were, that we freed from the city. And so they might be. Yeah, I think they, they thought they might have, have been uh, sympathetic toward them or, or even friendly towards them. Right. But no, though we don't figure it out immediately. You know, the first thing that was so su- suspicious to me was how immediately they react to who Tom was. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't feel like the hero worship was at that same level with 
Tom when he freed all of the people from the ghetto or helped to mm-hmm. free because it, w- it was a team effort. It wasn't just him. And so how has his legend spread? I mean, there, ha- there haven't even been enough people to survive anything <laughs> to spread word like that around. Right, unless he was one of the... But then if you think that if if he had been one that they freed, then there wouldn't have been the legend of the ghost. It would have been the experience with the ghost. True. Yep, so true. So I think that, that really is, is a, a pretty good red flag at that point. Now, I didn't like that once Tom called them out, basically said, you know, that's a good story you got there. Uh-huh. Uh, Beer drinking Mormons, huh? Or, you know, whatever he said. It seems a little too good to be true. And then you hear the gunshots that Coop supposedly pumped into Weaver and, and Matt. They didn't really leave any mystery to the audience as to whether or not Weaver and Matt were still alive. And I, I would have liked to have played along with Tom for a little while there and, and wondered myself if, if they were still alive. Yeah. That would have been interesting, particularly when you could tell completely that they were not in those sleeping bags. I mean, how yeah. Coop didn't realize that any nobody was in there. Maybe maybe they it's always darker to the actual characters, right, than the lighting that we get, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Do you think that that Coop thought he really killed them or do you think that Coop uh Oh, I think he did. Knew they were gone and, and was okay with it. I th- I think he I think he actually thought that he killed them. He kind of, it kind of seemed like okay. he had his eyes closed while he was shooting. Like he couldn't mm-hmm. believe that he was, what he was doing. And he was kind of unable to stand himself after that. But, you know, and, and this is not a slight on his character, but he seems like a very simple person. You know, he sees the wor- world very simply. There's good and there's evil. Yeah. And then there's your brother. <laughs> and, yeah. and being able to connect with him on that level, you, I don't know. I was able to see that he, he had to do what he had to do in order to keep surviving. And right now his brother is giving the orders. Yeah. I, I agree with your analysis where he was simple and not, not in a negative way per se. Yeah. Although had he not been quite so, so simple, he would have seen the truth a little bit earlier, but his simplicity was, was also probably a, a, a safety mechanism for him, yep. uh, helping him cope with, because if he were to spend too much time, thinking about things that he probably knew in his heart to be true, then that really would have opened up a, a dark reality for him, which he he came to right before his own death. So yeah, it, it might have been just a, a coping mechanism for him. That's a that's a very good point because it seems that's like entirely what he's doing when you know, when Tom is sitting tied up and trying to talk to him and he keeps repeating his own son's name over and over and you're mm-hmm. just like, Oh yeah, we get what your name is, but or get what his name is. But it seemed like Coop was actively trying to just block that out, trying to block out the humanity, say, you mm-hmm. know, I acknowledge that everybody has children, but I just cannot put that into the same category. And then finally opens up, yeah, I had two boys. So, yeah, I, I entirely agree. It, it must be a coping mechanism. And Tom was using a tactic as well, although I, th- I thought it was odd that he was using it after the fact that his son was dead. Because it's a tactic that is often used in kidnapping situations yeah. where they're trying to bring a, a personal connection or a human connection to the kidnapper to say that person that you have there, that you're, if you're watching me on TV, I'm going to use this, this person's <laughs> name over and over again so that you understand that you have a real person there. Yeah. Um, so for Tom to use that tactic after 
his son was dead, I thought was unusual, but I did think it was still the purpose was the, I, the, the purpose was the same. And that was to help Coop realize that what he did was he, he killed real people with mm-hmm. real names. Do you think that Tom actually believed Matt was dead? Oh man, I've gone back and forth on this. I, I, I did play that game while the, while the show was going on. Since I couldn't play along, I was playing the <laughs> game of what does Tom think yeah. is going on? And I I don't know. There were times where I thought Tom, when he said we shot him while they were in their sleeping bags and Tom perked up, I uh-huh. thought Tom was like, oh, they didn't have sleeping bags. They had blankets or something like, <laughs> yeah. like that was yeah. going to be a clue. But I don't know. I don't know. What about you? I did not think he b- believed they were dead for one second. I mean, okay. he, he did not react. And and maybe maybe that just comes from knowing, maybe coming from a little bit of leadership skills that he's acquired, you know, just not showing mm-hmm. all of your cards. But after the journey they took to get Matt, I would have expected a little bit more of a reaction. And then just the fact that he kept using his son's name over and over, it was almost like he was... He just knew that they had gotten out of that. But I, I really don't have anything other than the fact that it seemed either Noah Wiley wasn't acting very well. You know, <laughs> I doubt that's it. Which I doubt. Or, <laughs> right. or they were, they were just trying to make, I don't know. I mean, the only thing I can think of hmm. is that he, he's just, I mean, has he just become hardened to death? Yeah. I don't know. Well, Barb is making a great point here in the, in the chat room that Tom was dragging his leg, and I didn't, I couldn't figure out why he did that. He he drug his leg oh, at one point. Barb saying he did like that to it. leave a trail. Yeah, that's a great point, Barb. And I did to, to, to go back to what you were just saying about Tom's lack of grief. I, that struck me as well as as like, I mean, maybe he's just coping with the situation at hand, and he's been hardened and knows by now survival means coping with the issue at hand, and he can't lose control yep. of his emotions. But it just seemed like a man who had, like you said, had done so much to get yeah. his son back just to lose him would have been a little bit more emotionally unstable. Yeah. So yeah, I think those are pointing to good signs that he knew all along they yeah. were still well, alive. Well, in both, you know, and when when Tom left Weaver to take the first shift, he had said something. They they had both expressed their mm-hmm. suspicion of these guys, and it just seemed like they had a backup plan. Yeah, yeah, I and think and, so. and, and like you, I I saw him perk up when when he had said uh, when Coop said he shot him in their sleeping bags. It just it was like mm-hmm. not maybe. Not necessarily that, oh, they had blankets, but may- maybe he knew that they were sleeping in the woods or something or just, yeah, I don't know. That's it. That's That's got to be it. Yep. Yeah. I think we've solved it. Okay, cool. <laughs> then we can move on. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, uh, Coop, uh, let's see, the other brother was, uh, what was his name? Nick. Nick, yeah. He had this story about how they were captive and there were the skitters, uh, excuse me, the Ashvini were taking people and doing things with them and, you know, turning adults into skitters and, and all these other things. How much of his story do we believe any of it, all of it, except for the part where he talked about how they escaped? I mean, where, where are you falling down on, on his story believability? Well, every good lie is built on an element of truth, right? I, you know, based and, and this is mostly based off of what we get toward the end of the episode, but I think it's true. I think I I don't have any hard time believing that most of what he said was true and especially that they that some humans were experimented on and skitterized and came back looking deformed like we saw Genie 
and then some mm-hmm. and and so they're continually trying to perfect this process and you know and not trying to stereotype <laughs> who Nick was in his previous life but isn't that just the very stereotypical Goldman Sachs employee and I don't even know how to say that an attorney a lawyer you know just you're in it for the chunk of what you can get out of it you're good mm-hmm. at what you do and so you capitalize on that and so you know he's good at negotiating <laughs> he's good at giving the other side what they want a, a settlement if you will <laughs> and i don't know i just i saw it as the reason for kidnapping tom was built off of that i guess yeah no i think that's it i i think so and i think all of what he said was true um Ultimately, all that he said was true. The part that wasn't true was the part that he lied about Tom and and later confessed about. So I I think it's pretty believable otherwise. Traitors. Blood traitors. Yep. All right. Uh, Gannon wrote in and said that, uh, he said, sadly, the episode confirmed the Ishveni are in fact turning humans into skitters, but are they typical skitters? Like you pointed out, skitters don't have venom. Could they be human skitter hybrids? Yeah, I think what we've kind of touched on this in previous mm-hmm. podcasts, yeah. the basic fact is we don't know what they're doing. If they're using the same process that they did on the other aliens, we don't know. Mm-hmm. We don't know what the skitters used to look like. But right. I tell you, that would be an interesting episode to have like a history lesson <laughs> on the skitters. Well, that would be, and to see what they're doing with the humans as well. I think that perhaps it, it, it could be a number of things that the skitters are what they are because of what they used to be, um, at least in size, color, or or ability. Uh, the humans don't have venom, but but they were still, Jeannie was still very humanoid in the way that yeah. she looked and, and as, as far as being a bipod and stuff like that. Yes. So um, I think there's there's a little bit of both in there. Their, their skitters are adding things to them and, and yet probably keeping some of their form function as well. Right. I don't know. Yeah, and that was another thing Nick said that I thought was interesting in is that he actually observed that it seems like they're experimenting on humans and trying mm-hmm. to get that transformation right which yeah. is freaky and it just makes it even more heartbreaking that these guys could betray another human like that knowing what their fate might be yeah exactly well but it's not him you know and he, when he, if he's willing to do that to his own nephews tom is nothing to him yeah that's a very good point what did you think about Weaver being willing to put the gun into Matt's hand to let Matt pull the trigger on Coop. I was a little shocked at first, but I don't know. I I think I think he sees Matt as growing up, and I think I know what you're going to say about this. So <laughs> I'm not I'm not committed to my thoughts here, but I I don't think Weaver knew Matt was going to shoot him, and I think he wanted Matt to realize it for himself. Mm-hmm. And because he was able to give it up it made it more meaningful to Matt at the end. Well, there's no question about your your last statement as far as the fact that Matt didn't pull the trigger. The fact that he gave the gun back was a, was a good learning moment and a realization moment for Matt that I think he needed because he was going down a path of hate. Yeah. But I don't know that Weaver knew that he was going to make that decision, and maybe Weaver felt like he could gauge him well enough to be able to pull the gun back from him if Matt, if he felt Matt was going to pull the trigger. But it's hard for me to believe that Weaver would, or definitely support it if he did, was was going to allow Matt to go ahead and pull the trigger on that. Because, you know, once you, 
I assume I've never done this, but you see it in TV. You see it in TV. It's got to be real. But once you make the decision to kill somebody, you've crossed a line. You've definitely crossed a line that you can't come back from. And you would think that Weaver, as long as you've got that boy there with you who's not yet crossed that line, Mm -hmm. allow him to cross that line never, if possible. There's still a chance he could never cross that line. So don't give him the opportunity to cross that line. So I I was really disappointed that Weaver would would give him that gun. And, and I don't know if he would have hmm. been able to pull it back in time or if he would have let him pull it, the trigger. I don't know. I don't know. And I don't like the fact that he could have. So if if Weaver hadn't given him the gun, what do you think Matt would have done? he might have still had the hatred in his heart and, and still been going down a dark path, if you will. You know, like I said, the, the the end result was good, but I just... Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if Weaver lucked out or if he really would have let him pull the trigger. I suppose there's a lesson to be gleaned in either way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I just gotta, I gotta think that deep down Weaver knows Matt's heart and he knows that this kid could never really kill someone out of hate. Mm-hmm. Too much like Tom in that way. You know, just thinking, we just mentioned the pickets. And even after all that the pickets had done, Tom still went back for them in the end and <laughs> was taken. Hey, wait a minute. Didn't Matt kill some, didn't Matt kill one of the pickets? Hey, that's right. Uh, he didn't kill him immediately. He shot him, right? He was trying to defend Hal yeah, or something who had die. been attacked. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yep. But that huh, was, that I was also a that. different kind of self defense that was, that was in defense. That wasn't out of hate. Yeah. But that's you a good know, point. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. I had forgotten. Mm. Hmm. Well, it's an interesting conversation still, though. Yeah. Well, here's what Barb had to say about Matt. Matt has been a child of war. He was only eight years old when his world was turned upside down, and he has seen nothing but fighting and the drive to survive. I think he is finally beginning to understand his new world and deal with his feelings as he grows up. Dan Weaver has always been there for him and is giving him fatherly advice and counsel. The warmth between these two characters feels genuine and sincere. I could see Falling Skies ending with Weaver sacrificing himself for Matt and Matt carrying on in honor of his hero. Okay, Emily, I know you won't like that, but that's my second death prediction for season five. (laughs) <laughs> it's so funny because I was just thinking, wow, Barb really doesn't want any of my favorite characters to survive this season. <laughs> That's right. Uh, no, Barb, I don't like that theory at all. But like Ben, you're probably right. Ugh. Why do you always oh, have to do that? Hey, she has not been proven right on Ben yet. Let's not give her credit for that. <laughs> no, I said probably, though. Didn't I? I meant to yeah. say probably. But, you know... The sacrifice thing is something, I don't know, we don't, Can does any specific sacrifice come to mind in this show that somebody's actually given up their life to save someone else? Hmm. Uh, nothing's coming to, coming to mind. There have been, there have been heroic moments where people have been willing to give up their life, but did they actually lose it? Yeah. I don't know. And and I don't know whether that that makes it even more likely that Weaver would give himself up, mm-hmm. <laughs> or less likely. But it it really has not happened. <laughs> oh yeah, 
Barb just says that she's wrong on all of her theories. <laughs> lousy track record. <laughs> she has a lousy track record. Oh, that's a, that's a relief. That should make you feel good. Yeah. I will say, though, what what she said about Matt and, and Weaver, they really do have a special relationship yes. that, that we've seen evolve and, and grow over the last couple of seasons. And I think Tom even realizes that. I mean, he entrusted his son with Weaver. He wasn't worried about you know, Matt being with, yeah. with Weaver because he knew that he, he was in good hands and they had a special bond. And uh, that's, that's a good thing. Yes. And, and in thing. some ways Weaver's going to be able to influence Matt, excuse me. Uh, yeah. Matt in a way that Tom can't. And we, we see this as parents, you know, Carrie and I will tell our kids something and they look at us like we have just said the stupidest thing in the world, but even someone like their grandparents can say the same thing. And it's like, Oh, well, yeah. sure. That makes perfect sense because it's coming from a, a, from a different voice, a different position, a different authoritative relationship. Yeah. Well, and, and the fact alone that, that Weaver was in the army for so long, mm-hmm. it, it helps that he was able to take and give orders without that, that, that order thing, you know, the, the, the leadership thing being like a, a, a dominating thing you hold over someone else's head. Like that was his job. That was, people were supposed to listen to him <laughs> and it wasn't, he wasn't exerting that kind of authority because he just wanted all of the power. It was part of the responsibility. And I think part of what has helped that relationship come along is that Weaver has slowly incorporated him into certain missions and mm-hmm. through that, that trust has been built. And like you just said, it's easier for Matt to take orders from him and see the lessons he's teaching than his father just because of that, I don't know, that leadership that he witnesses in in mm-hmm. Weaver. Sure. Here's what Mark had to say about Matt. Matt seemed to be a little all over the place in this episode. Uh, We saw at the beginning when they were hungry and they had that rabbit and Tom was about to shoot it and Matt didn't want his father to shoot the rabbit even though they were starved, they hadn't eaten in three days. I thought maybe something to do with the camp that even though he thought he was resisting, maybe they were somehow, they had gone through to him and they were creating pacifists so that he wouldn't kill. And that's why he was feeling that way. But later in the episode, when he decides he wants to take the shot and shoot the guy that has his father, and then he can't follow through with it, Weaver just says that uh, it's because he's human. But I'm wondering if it was part of his conditioning, and even though Matt thinks he fought it off, that he was actually conditioned in, in some small sense. I gotta say, I was suspicious of that the entire episode. I kept thinking, oh, he's going to break. He's just, he's going to lose mm-hmm. it. <laughs> well, I have to admit, I thought that something might be that the, his influence, he might be being influenced by his brainwashing attempts by, you know, team leader and all of them mm-hmm. when he shooshed the rabbit away. But when he didn't pull the trigger, I didn't, I didn't think anything of it. I thought he was just being human, like Weaver said. But man, now that Mark brings that up, hmm, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Well, it was like, it was like the brainwashing was working up to a certain point and then the hatred took over. And despite mm-hmm. Weaver's excellent words to him, he was, <laughs> what do I do with the hate? You know, you can't just push mm-hmm. it aside sometimes. And we saw, we saw Hal struggle with that a season or two ago as well and saw, resolve it in some poor ways. But yeah. Yeah. Well, Weaver had just lost his daughter, you know, the previous day. If we're talking about chronologically, well, that was days, one day maybe. ago, three days ago, you yeah. think. Um, whatever it was, it was just, it just happened. And he's able to, to cope with that. And I think that 
you know, hopefully that, that helped Ben or excuse me, Matt realized that this guy's just lost somebody that he loves too. And, um, he's, he's handling it pretty well. Yeah. What do you think about the, this storyline in, in overall, because really at the beginning of the episode, we had Matt, Tom and Weaver on their way to go find Hal and, and the rest of the group. Now they run across these, these two guys where they have to, uh, they're put, Tom's kidnapped and put into this distraction. At the end of the episode, we're right back where we started. So we didn't really make any progress. Uh, so what do you think? Was this a, a throwaway filler episode or were there some things here that we can glean from this episode that are going to pay off later? Do you have some in between thoughts? I mean, where, where are you coming down on this thing? As soon as we saw them run into Nick and Coop, I was like, oh, this is a filler episode. <laughs> when when they're not, I mean, Falling Skies does this every season where, you know, these these guys go into these loops of not being connected with one another. And you know that's just because there's something big coming and you need each group to play out something until that finality thing happens. <laughs> and... Even so, I mean, it's so hard for me to say that because I love the dynamics that we get between these characters. It's just like, and I and I don't even know what I would be expecting otherwise. Like, if they had gone to Lordis's camp or to the safe haven and been reunited, what what good would have come of that? You know, I don't even know mm-hmm. what uh, what what our other options are. But yes, I did feel like it was a filler episode, and I feel like we've had th- these same conversations. Uh, I mean, maybe the only thing that re- we really got that was meaningful is the fact that the Ishveni are doing anything they can to find Tom. Yeah. Well, I think, too, though, that perhaps there are a couple of things that are going to come back that they, they needed to get worked into the story so that there's something to tie it into in a little bit later. We We have this exploration of what is family, you mm-hmm. know, when... Tom is explaining to these guys, they may have been brothers, but blood and blood type and what womb you came from doesn't necessarily make you brothers. Well, mm-hmm. okay, let's talk about how that could tie into them with Lexi. Um, but he also gave you the impression that just because someone is your, your blood related brother, they may not be someone that you need to be sticking loyal to. If there's a change in them, Barb's been throwing out for weeks now that Matt's going to die. Is this a foreshadowing that Matt is going to have to kill Ben because he's going to identify him as not? Maybe Ben becomes controlled by the Ishvini more than he was even in this episode. Was this some sort of, was the Hmm. whole point of this to give us some foreshadowing there or to give us a a link to that possible future storyline? I would be okay with that. And and I will admit that in previous seasons, when I go back and rewatch things, I'm always so, I can appreciate each episode a lot more just because I know where it's all going. And and I think I say this every year, it's just hard to be in the midst of it and wanting to see big things happen to these people, you know, something meaningful and making progress against this fight. And we just we just get to see very little pieces along the way. So I am totally on board with that, especially because Matt has learned a couple of really big lessons in this episode, how to control your hate, what family means in a non-blood sense. So I'd be okay with that. Yeah, I would too. I think that that would, while not necessarily make this any less of a quote unquote filler episode than it was, it would give it some more depth than it would might appear to have at first blush. 
Right. And it would, it would be like the picket episode. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Maybe even better than the picket episode. Probably. Because those people were creepy. <laughs> they weren't, they weren't uh, uh, alcoholic Mormons, but they were right. close. <laughs> All right. Are you ready to move on to Teen I'm, Hal? I'm ready. Okay. Let's do it. We got very little of these guys this week. And I, and, and I was okay with that because this was actually probably the one of the most interesting pieces of information we've got all season. I mean, we keep saying that along the way, I know, but just in in how they were able to take down that mech and extract mm-hmm. that brain from it. Yeah. I don't know if I would call it a brain or a hub or a... They called it a, a, a navigational or a... Or a it was something where i mean they they used it to be able to to identify where all the various types of yes uh, enemy forces were in the area and it seems like it's the i don't know i i don't i don't think it was the power source of the mech but it was probably the thing that helped the mech move around it was like it's gps or whatever so yeah some sort of communication right. link i think right and it seems like it's going to be really beneficial i mean they were able to see that the path was clear all the way to the mm-hmm. safe haven. That could be a great tool for them to uh, to utilize in the future. Yeah. So I wonder when they get to the get to the safe haven, <laughs> if they'll be able to pull the same kind of navigational unit out of the one that Lexi tamed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. I thought it was, you know, Barb talked about the writing of this episode being good. One of the the good p- parts or funny parts to me was that uh, part where, um, and I, you might have mentioned this earlier, somebody did, where they, they were talking about how was saying to Shaq about, we could stand here all night and look at each other. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Shaq's like, well, that wouldn't be a very efficient use of our time and blah, blah, blah. Uh. He needs to have his colloquialism routine adjusted, I think. <laughs> nice, almost human reference. That's right. <laughs> I had to say it. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, and that's great. And it just, we, we've seen, Sh- uh, not Shaq, uh, Cochise adjusting to some of Tom's mannerisms too. You know, he calls him chief in the, in the premiere episode and, and Cochise mm-hmm. responds in kind. And it's just cool to see uh, these relationships beginning to develop because you knew at first that Shaq was just annoyed he had to work with Hal in mm-hmm. any capacity. And now it seems like they're both seeing the value in one another. Yeah. They do seem to have made a good team. Yep. So it'll be interesting to see if, if uh, Cochise was actually going after this group or if he was going after something else. Yeah. I need to go back and rewatch that. <laughs> uh, Gannon wrote in and said that he's loving Shaq. Uh, so he's like us. He says, like the overlords, I'm glad that they're introducing more Volm characters and hope that that continues. And, I'm liking that as well. Yeah. I think I, I've said it too much already, but, you know, just I'm so interested in this other species that has been introduced to mm-hmm. us because they are friendly in in a certain capacity and just mm-hmm. wish that I wish that the narrative could split a little bit. We we most everything is from Tom's perspective until people are split off from him. But mm-hmm. I just wish we could ha- like, like we got a little glimpse of Monk and Scorch talking. Just wish we could have more of that from the Volm's perspective. Mm-hmm. I do too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That would be good. <laughs> what did you think of the uh, Pope Sarah scenes? I didn't like it. I thought 
it was it was pointless. Yeah. I was disappointed in the, that this this episode. Sarah comes up to Pope. Pope's in the truck. By the time Pope is in the truck, I'm assuming that they already have the plan in place because Shaq has already told Hal, "I've got a, I've got an idea, but it's it's uh, a little bit non traditional or something yeah. to that effect." And then we see Pope in the truck. So I'm thinking by the time he's in the truck, they, they he already knows the plan. Now Sarah comes along and says, oh, "I need to learn how to fight these things too." It wasn't needed. I, you know, yep. I just thought um, it was just lines given to her so that she has an appearance in the episode, and, and I didn't really like it actually. Yeah, I felt the exact same way. I oh, I did was you? Like, okay, right. I, I I just was questioning why Pope agreed to show her how to kill them and making it sound like it was a spontaneous, oh yeah, I'll do this for you. But then he seems mm-hmm. to follow through with a prearranged plan. Well, and the, and the plan, the way he showed her to, to kill them was to hit them with a truck. Well, how often right. is that going to be, you know, give opportunity going to be given to you? And are you going to, yeah. if you have a truck, are you going to want to waste it on killing a mech? I mean, maybe if your life depends on it, but. Right. And how many of these mechs that you're going to run into have been forced into a corner where, they right. are be- they're already being lured into a trap. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I felt like it was unnecessary. And I, I, w- I, I don't know if they're still trying to just show that Sarah's sticking by Pope or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It was a bummer. But I did. I, I kind of fell for it lo- along with the mech. You know, the, the, how it hits him with the rock and he chases after him. And I'm like, all right, cool, cool, cool. And, Hal jumps down into the ravine and they pull the rope and I'm like, all right, this is cool. This is going to work. And then the mech sees it. And I'm just like, I think I even wrote, yeah, I mean, and I didn't take it out. My note says if they only had some Ewoks to show them how to do the kill the thing with the rope trick. And then I had to write, never mind, because it was all part of the plan. So I fell for it. Well, I guess we can't all be humans. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I loved the kind of David and Goliath viewpoint that we got on that, and yeah, it's ready for him to cut off Goliath's head at the end. There, <laughs> did you watch the behind the scenes video they released after this episode? No, I did not. It was of this scene right here, so it was uh focusing on Drew Roy, and it had like showed the rock that he threw at the mech, uh huh, which you wouldn't think anything of it. Yeah, that was still had to be stunt rock, it was made out of foam. <laughs> They didn't yeah. want to damage the mech because they have to keep them for other scenes, right? I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Foam. Um, and it showed him running. He was a little nervous about there being too many leaves, like they had put too many leaves and he was going to slip and fall. Um, and, but he did it. They did it. And they had they showed them setting up the explosions that would look like mech fire. And yeah, it was kind of cool. It's a dangerous thing, this acting. <laughs> I know, right? It's, <laughs> it's tough work. Well, we're glad he survived. Yeah. Yeah. All in a day's work. All in a day's work. At the end, yeah. (laughs) All right. Um, Mark had some other thoughts on Sarah. I don't remember what he had to say if he liked her, if he liked her or not. So let's find out. I'm on the fence with the new character. I'm sorry, I forget her name, but the the one that's uh, friend became friends with Pope, and she's questioning him on how to kill uh, the 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 enemy there. Uh, I'm a little bit on the fence. Uh, it's almost like they wanted Pope to have somebody to play opposite him, and they created this person, and I think she's almost a little bit over the top. So the jury's still out for me on whether or not to, I, I like this character. Um, I'm going to need a few more episodes to see how that relationship progresses, but right now, if I had to make a decision, I'm not really caring for her. 
We're right there with you. Yeah, that's yep. uh, interesting. And hopefully over the next few episodes, we'll get some more. But at the same time, I think uh, maybe next episode, they're going to be in Camp Lexi. So yeah. who's to say what kind of screen time she's going to get? Right. Uh, but maybe she and Pope will cause an uprising. I mean, they are the types of people that would do that. Yeah. And what's so frustrating is that we know what these writers are capable of. And she just right. hasn't had time to get fleshed out, but then gives the, but then is given these menial scenes that mostly make us frustrated with her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I know, I know I'm fully willing to accept that she will be a great character down the road. Just give me a couple episodes to let her, to break her in, as they say. Yeah, and there's no question that Mia Servino has the acting chops to to actually right. do something with the character. I I think maybe the analogy that to go with is that they've swapped out the Matt concentration camp story with the Sarah story. There's just mm-hmm. not enough there for us to really yep. uh, sink our teeth into and appreciate right now. I agree. Is that fair? That's fair. Very fair. All right. Well, speaking of Camp Lexi, let's talk, let's talk about this because really some really uh, more really interesting developments this week um, involving Ben and Lexi, Lourdes, Maggie, Overlord, all kinds of good stuff. Yeah, this is a very strange family love triangle to say the <laughs> least. Yeah, yeah. I think the the biggest thing here is that. Lexi is starting to feel betrayed by Anne. And, of course, Anne is unhinged because she's just spent the last four months searching high and low for her daughter, only to find that she has been, she has aligned herself with the Ashveni and doesn't consider them at all a threat to the humans. And as a result, Anne is taking it out on the Ashveni, torturing him. Not, and so, and it's not just the mother then, it's also the brother in that there has been a link established between Ben and the Asfeni in a very different capacity than it has been in the past. And as far as I can recall, he has connected with that species before, hasn't he? That's what I was just thinking. We've seen him connect with, with Ben before and Ben has lasted longer than he did here. I thought it was un- unusual that Ben seemed to have so much. It didn't take him long to start really having some some physical issues with being connected to the Overlord. I don't know if it was something that the Overlord was doing to him, yeah, or or what the deal was. Yeah, and that was my biggest question throughout this storyline: was is this something that the Ashveni is doing intentionally, or mm-hmm. or is this a side effect? of the harness or the the harness remnants. <laughs> yeah. I'm inclined to think that something that the overlord was doing, the monk was doing to Ben to exacerbate the situation. He's definitely trying to manipulate Lexi and Anne, you know, to to in order to ultimately mm-hmm. gain his freedom. So, uh if he feels like he can manipulate Ben through the process in order to gain an advantage, I think that's what he's going to do. So in response to that then two things. First he was the he was the more peace loving mm-hmm. of the two that we saw talking with each other. Mm-hmm. But then also why would Ben be writhing on the ground screaming flower? Because the overlord was when Anne was hitting the overlord the, the monk it was actually hurting the monk it was also okay. hurting Ben. 
Yep. And I think the 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 monk was was screaming flower so that she would stop because it was actually hurting him. Okay, I thought maybe you were saying that it was he was deflecting everything onto Ben instead of taking the pain himself. But you think that no. they're they're connected still even if that connection is open. Like Yes, I do. Oh, what I was trying to say is that the the very first encounter that they had where Ben was speaking for him and then Ben started to breathe heavy and have some issues like yeah. that that the overlord was putting that onto Ben so that he could end the conversation and and, and get Anne out of there. He didn't okay. think that that was going to accomplish anything, so he was trying to Let's manipulate see. the situation by causing Ben to have some some difficulty. Sure, I see that. Okay, I like that. Yeah, it, and it was so freaky because even if it was something intentional that the Overlord had done, it's still... I mean, it's it's something that we can't, or the humans cannot prevent him from doing to Ben. I mean, there's no defense against that. I, I don't no. think I don't think Ben can even block it. I don't. I don't either. I don't think that Ben can prevent the monk or any other overlord, for that matter, from linking to him. And I think once they are linked, they have control over him. It's a dangerous thing. When I, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about this in our in our prequel to the to the season, and I don't think that I really. I know that we mentioned it as far as Ben could still be controlled by the Ishvini, but I didn't think it was going to come this heavily into the storyline. I'm really surprised by it, but in a good way, it does make the storyline much more interesting. Yes. Oh, entirely. <laughs> I hate to say it. Yeah. But I, there, there does seem to be a limitation because he's not fully harnessed and there must be something that the full harness has that his remnant spikes do not have that there's either- gotta be either make it easier for the Ishveni to fully control him. I'm not mm-hmm. sure, but it seems like that is going to be his saving grace if he does get one. Boy, and it, it, it's a terrible situation because you would you would hope that he could at least fight for himself, but it seems like if he were to fight for himself, he would actually be fighting himself. You know, if he hits right. the monk with something, he's going to actually hurt himself <laughs> in the process. Right. That's terrible. I know. I do like, uh, though, how he uh, he comes away with feelings about what he's felt in the mm-hmm. in the other in the overlord's head. Yeah, that is a, that is the cool part about that. Yeah, it, it, he does. That's great. I'm glad you brought that up because it could help work to their advantage, give him some insight, perhaps. Yeah. Well, that turns out. Well, let me let me back up here before we move into what the we, we see there with with Ann and Lexi. There was some comments on Twitter which I thought were good, wondering why the they had put a bag over the monk's head because he, I guess he can see through Ben. I mean, he seems to be aware of what's around him. Do you do you think do you think he can see through Ben? Do you, what do you think the the purpose for the bag was? Oh, you mean like see through Ben's eyes? <laughs> I right, thought you meant exactly. physically see through him. He's not transparent. <laughs> um, Sorry. No, I mean, you just kidding. Ben as a, as, as uh, extra set of eyes. See through Ben. Interesting. I don't know. Me I don't know neither. what the extent of that would be. I wouldn't be surprised if he could. Yeah. I, I would want to say that it's a limitation of the, of the, of just having the spikes is probably that it's only a communication. But I, I have no basis for that. Yeah. I mean, if he can see through Ben's eyes, then that really does give him, it gives him a spy no matter where they are. Yeah. And that seems like he's not quite to that point. 
Yeah. Or he, he, he would have been exploited a lot more and a lot sooner mm-hmm. in a very, Definitely. in a lot of different capacities if that was possible. Right. That's just my okay. first instinct. I'm, I'm with though. you. Okay. Hmm. But it's a very interesting thought. I think very practically speaking, you mentioned at the top of the show, over the top of the podcast, this is an expensive show to make. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot cheaper to put a guy in a in a coat and a bag over his head and do that uh, that scene very literally with a, with a practical effect than a CG effect. So it could have been just nothing more than that. That's true. <laughs> yeah. huh. Okay, let's talk about the Anne Lexi thing because this is really yeah, interesting. Very interesting. Okay, at what point? I, I I'm I'm forgetting exactly how this happened, but when did Lexi actually collapse? Uh, you know, Anne mentioned that um, Lexi hasn't seen what the Ishveni have done. She, you know, she hasn't been fighting them as long as Anne has, and she doesn't really understand it. Um, and then that's when Lexi said, don't make me defy you. We both know I don't need your permission, which is pretty, not surprising, but pretty interesting still. Yeah. But the, the, but that's at the point where the you know the wind starts howling and all that stuff that we had seen either last week or the week before with the blood vial. And then she lost control of it, it seemed like. Or maybe she didn't mean to do that in the first place. It's something that she doesn't have control of, for sure. And it weakened her, did something to her. Yeah, that's right. Because I, I remember... Oh, yeah. Here it is. I, I said she went all Darth Vader on her mom. Oh, and, that's right. She force choked her. That's Yeah. Right. And yeah, in, in that moment, after she had started choking her mom and, and Anne turns around and is like, Lexi, let me go. And, and Lexi looks like she has completely lost control. Like she doesn't know how to stop what she's put in motion. Yeah, like she's scared at what's happening. Right. And, and it almost looked like to me that she was trying to fight what she had set in motion, which mm-hmm. is then fighting her alien DNA. And as a result, she collapses. I could go for that for sure. I, I'm not. I don't know what to make of it, but that that yeah. makes as much sense as anything I could come up with. <laughs> and I say that because I like the idea that they've kind of been pushing us along. You know, she keeps going back to the fact that the Overlord is her father or a father mm-hmm. figure, another father. She has two fathers, but they're trying. Even in this episode, I guess they're just showing what it means to be blood related and what it means to be family. And up until this point the monk guy has really been the closest to her of either of her yeah. parents in the last four months. I know. And I feel bad for Anne because this monk guy has obviously been able to influence her and, and show his love, if you will, for her. And she wants to to hold that against Anne. And that's just not, it's not right. Right. It's not fair. And it's, but you know, on the other hand, this, this guy, this monk did make her who she is. Mm-hmm. But she sees it as a blessing or a gift or a good thing, and Anne just sees it as a curse. Yeah. Hmm. Well, here's what Mark has to say about Lexi's powers. I'm really curious about Lexi's powers and what the limits to her powers are. Are we going to see something like we saw uh, in this week where she exerted herself too much and it ended up uh, she she passed out from it? It, was that just a side effect of her using her powers? Was there something more to it? Or it just seems like every week her powers seem to be getting more and more powerful. And when are we going to see it? What are the limits to that? And how much can she actually control? So I'm really curious to see where that goes and what they're actually grooming her for. Hmm. 
Good point. Right there with you. Yeah, definitely. There's also been, with the introduction of her family members again, you know, Ben was in a coma for a long time and now Anna's back in the picture. Her her Mm -hmm. emotions really haven't been challenged like this in a very long time. And as we've said in previous episodes, she, while she looks like she's physically 21 years old, in human terms, she's she's a baby. <laughs> she's emotionally very young and very inexperienced in the world, despite her literary knowledge. But mm-hmm. just that general inexperience is not going to let her have full control over her powers in the way that they could have been had she been allowed to uh, grow in a typical fashion. You know, are you watching Extant? Yeah. Okay. You know how they're kind of portraying, what's their son's name? Um, Ethan, Ethan, maybe, Ethan? yeah, maybe. I don't remember. I don't know. Uh, just like how how they've introduced the uh, the new form of AI as if we want them to be able to agree with us, we have to raise them as one of our own and let them develop cognitively in the same way mm-hmm. as a normal child. And right. and they and the aliens have kind of taken that from her. That even though they can expedite her alien growth there is still a very important human growth that she has completely bypassed and no amount of education can take care of that. That is something that, you know, we say it all the time that child grew up too fast. They were forced to see the world before they were ready. Right. That was an agreement with Mark. (laughs) Yeah. 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 All right. So now Lexi's passed out and I'm glad you, you made the note on this. I, 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 I'll let you take it, but I, I definitely had the same thought and that was Anne seems incredibly helpless as Lexi has passed out, but I thought she was a doctor. I know. I just, I was so confused in this entire episode. It just looked like she was completely helpless. Mm-hmm. Especially when Dr. Kadar rushes in and she's just kind of like looking to him to take over. I don't know. Yeah, maybe she thought because Dr. Kadar has been there the whole time and he knows more, he's done more studies on her. He was That's true. And and that, that's true. I I don't I don't think that that's an invalid point but to be considered, but at the same time, you would think that number 1 as a mother, number 2 as a doctor that she would be more, "Hey, let's try this, let's do this, blah blah blah," but then there wasn't really any of that. Right. Yeah. Not at all. And only yeah. even when she knew what flower that they were ta- yeah. or Ben was talking about because yeah. Lexi had just shown it to her, but that still isn't medicinal. That was just because of circumstance that she knew that one. Hmm. Yeah, I I don't know. I was just very. I didn't think that that was very well done either. Wow. I think I'm even gonna have to drop my rating <laughs> after this conversation. I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, th- our conversation is gonna help me like this episode better. But there were a lot of things that I was just not very on board with and i didn't know why oh. now i do <laughs> okay okay well i didn't mean to make it knock it down a little bit i just no i'm not going to me to. that to me that was an odd thing but it wasn't uh too big of a deal um i did like that that and made the connection on the flower and yeah. was able to then you know make a tea out of that and, and bring healing to her right and hopefully that will show lexi that she is paying attention <laughs> mm-hmm. she's not just disregarding everything yeah hmm. yeah well, let's listen to some listener feedback here. We've got quite a few to listen to here in a row. This first one is Justina and her comments on Lexi's illness. This week, 
when Lexi fell ill, I got to thinking that maybe this illness and high fever is indicating she is reaching a new level of maturation and will have even more power next week, similar to how a child goes through growing pains. I was thinking that this sickness was indicating that Lexi's body and power is going to the next level of her maturing process. I think that's a possibility that, that really this is all part of the growing process for her. Um, instead of uh, showing her, you know, you, you just said that maybe her inability, her immaturity here is showing through. And I think that that, that is the case, but it also could be after what happened this week that she's going to come out of it having grown in, in a lot of ways or, or in some ways. Yeah. It's almost like she's reaching certain thresholds of uh, the boundaries of what she's able to do. And, and kind of, you know, it's like, as you, as you start to dig into that hole, it's automatically made wider until you can't mm-hmm. really control it. And what's really inside of you comes roaring out. Yeah. Or at the very least, perhaps, uh, perhaps, you know, she'll have, she'll realize what she did and have a better understanding of how to control what she can't control now. Yeah. Just because of the experience of the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. That could be. Too. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Uh, Riblet noticed some things about food in this episode, so I stuck it here with our tea conversation. So uh, let's hear what Riblet had to say. Food, and it's predominant throughout this whole season. Uh, you mentioned last week about the soup and mat, and that was definitely there. This week we opened with Weaver and Tom not having ate in days along the way, and Matt shooing the rabbit away. And, you know, that's probably more about the whole food analogy that he's been going through as well. But, you know, we look at, you know, the Brothers Grimm, as I'll call them, being fully stocked with their food and having those areas. Lexi with the flower tea and moving that forward. So there's something about food, I think, that is is definitely there. I really liked that point. It's almost it's almost drawing a parallel to, well, not sure a parallel, but it's showing how people with food are are sitting in a wrong kind of comfort. Hmm. And and Matt's rejection of that rabbit is saying, I don't want to go back to being that comfortable with where I am. Interesting. I huh. like the, I like the insight. That's for sure. Yeah. Thanks, Riblet. Yeah. I liked. I, I don't know if I because we we did talk about soup last week and it being you know, yeah. what laced with something, but I mean he couldn't. I, I don't. I don't think Matt thought the bunny would be laced with anything, but. He's still making a connection to something. It's like it's like the food or killing for the food is reminding him of something. Mm. Possibly. Mm-hmm. Now, Barb has a comment on something that was in the room with Alexi. I don't know if you noticed or not, but there was a big painting in the room. So let's uh, hear what Barb had to say. One thing that struck me was the apparent Renaissance painting above Lexi's bed, which is completely out of place at a Chinese cultural center. The Renaissance was considered a time of rebirth, and I wonder if the writers deliberately put it there to emphasize that point, that this is a period of rebirth for the world, whether it remains human, becomes alien, or is a combination of both. You know, Barb, I think I might have been overthinking this. I I noticed that, too. 
and I spent at least an hour today. I thought I'd, <laughs> oh, I'll spend 10 minutes on this, and I couldn't step away from my computer until I found that painting. And I searched for everything I could. I looked through, I don't know how many different Renaissance era paintings by various artists. I couldn't find, I couldn't find it. I couldn't figure it out. Um, because I thought, well, maybe it is the painting of, you know, there was water in it. So I, I searched things about baptism. I searched things about judgment. I searched things about the flood. Um, hmm. I searched things about ba- bathing even, and I couldn't find anything, but maybe I was just overthinking it. Maybe it was just a general tie into the Renaissance and a rebirth of things. So I, I like it. I'm glad somebody else noticed it. I wish uh, maybe somebody who's listening knows what the painting was. And and perhaps there is a deeper meaning to it, but I think at the very least, Barb might be onto something there by saying it's just a symbol of of a, a rebirth that that's going on, a symbolism that that they're kind of just putting out there. To, hey, here's this painting. You know, here's what's going on. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. Yeah, I I really didn't look that closely. It looked like a very typical period piece to me. Mm-hmm. But no, I did not go uh, <laughs> that deep into it. <laughs> Okay. Hmm. I do want to look into that now. I'm probably going to spend just <laughs> as long as you looking for it. <laughs> I know. It's a rabbit trail, but it's yeah. really interesting. It's a good rabbit yeah. trail. Yeah. All right. So Lexi releases the monk, or Lourdes does, really, and reveals that he is her father. Tom Mason, not the father. We need a Jerry Springer here for this scene. Uh, were you surprised at all? I mean, they'd made it pretty clear that yes. the monk was really the, I mean, we knew that she had alien DNA. So yeah, there was no surprise here, right? I guess the the surprise might've been that that specific alien was the father, but even then I don't think there was any surprise there. Did she say he was her father or that he was her father too? I don't remember hearing the word too. Okay. Chat room. Did I, did I only hear what I wanted to hear? Because it would make a huge difference. Because I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. even even in the or in the dream that Anne had, she was already right. pregnant when the Ashveni Dutt did his thing to her, which would mean Lexi was conceived normally. Right. So it can't. It can't be like you can't completely extract all of the father's DNA. I don't know. I I don't know enough about biology or even about this universe's biology to say anything about that but i mean she can't mm. deny that she was that she has a human father well barb in the chat room is saying that he, she barb says that lexi said that he is my father also oh okay so i did hear what i wanted to hear so <laughs> thank you guys for correcting Typical. me on that. that's what my wife would say i have selective hearing (laughs) that's all right so she's gonna have to make a choice or she feels like she's going to have to make a choice and here's what mark had to say about that lexi mentions in the episode that she doesn't want to have to choose between her mother and this monk character who she reveals to be her father she doesn't view tom as her father she sees that monk as her father uh, or at least that's the impression I got. But I have a feeling if it comes down to it, Anne hasn't really been much of a mother to her, and she's been communicating a lot with this monk character, so if she really had to choose, I don't think she would be choosing Anne. So that's something to watch out for. Yep. Right along with what we've been saying, I guess. I, 
it just we need time. It's like if you just give Anne and Tom a little bit of time to win her over, they can. But when it, when everything that Lexi has come to believe is met with hostility and anger, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I mean, those are the very things that make rebellious children want to continue on in their rebellion. Yeah, even though the parent is doing it from a from a standpoint of love, it's not being perceived that way. Right, and what's even worse is that the the child isn't being. Their, their actions aren't meant with consequences, but actually with love on the other side or, or a form of it from. Right. Mike. Yes, exactly. Compassion yep. and, and yeah. acceptance and leadership, uh, not leadership, but uh, he's almost a teacher to her in many ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Hmm. Yep. And by the way, Mark says he didn't hear the also either. He just heard men. His- <laughs> all the same. That's right. We're all Just the same. kidding. <laughs> Riblet had a different point of view here about the whole thing, and it's going to circle us back around to the conversation we had at the top of the show about the power source that uh, Cochise was going after. So here's what Riblet had to say. Here's a wild hair idea about the Shvini power source. I think uh, Cochise leaving this week was kind of indicative of how they were searching for it so much. We saw the drones searching for it. And I'm wondering, you know, more and more, is the Ashvini power source that they're searching for, is it actually Lexi? Um, and is that where we're going to come to terms at as we look forward to the, the coming weeks? Mm. I like it. <laughs> yeah, it's a possibility. It seems more likely. Yeah. And if the if the scout team was looking for the power source and they are also heading towards Lexi, then that, that would make sense, too. That's yeah. where we were confused earlier. I am mm. trying to think of another, I don't know if it's a show or a book, but just kind of like someone who is building up their power and they're supposed to be that power source and the more of energy they attracted themselves the more they become that person that they are feared to become. Oh, duh. Oh my gosh. I can't believe, uh, Olivia, right? In season four, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> when mm-hmm. Belle is activating her and they realize that the only way to end the power source is to kill her. I, I kind of, I'm kind of seeing it in that way when after yeah. his. Yeah. We can only hope that Lexi has some cortex fan in her brain somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, so that we can end it and then she can come back to life and be okay. (laughs) That's right, yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so what was your episode rating? I gave this episode seven human traitors. Mm. What'd you give it? I gave it 7.5 cups of tea. Barb gave it eight and a half empty blue sleeping bags, so she liked it. (laughs) Uh huh. And Mark gave it eight point five alcoholic Mormons. So oh. I think I mentioned that. I'm sorry, Mark. I didn't mean to steal your th- the thunder on your on your rating. I, I I did that. I didn't mean to. It still has its effect. I guess so. Uh, in closing thoughts, we had a couple other feedbacks come in that I thought would be good to kind of listen to as we're kind of closing up our thoughts. So here's um, Bags uh, chiming in again uh, about the Ashvini's enemy. So this really came in about a conversation you and I had last week, but I thought it would be kind of good to look at this again as we as we close out the episode. The Ashvini are running. Their homeworld was destroyed. 
the reason they are at Earth, which is sort of in the outskirts of the galaxy, is they're running. They're running for their lives. Someone wants to wipe them out. So this actually could be good news for humanity. Now, when I first heard this, and then I heard it the second time, I thought, well, what does she mean that this could be good for humanity? And the only thing that I can think of, and I, and I, I think I figured it out, is that if this enemy comes in and wipes out the Ishvini, then that could be good for humanity. But of course, that could be bad for humanity, too. They might turn right around and, and squash humanity. Um, do you think she means something else, or do you think that this could end up being good for humanity with this um, this other enemy here? I think I know what she means in that if 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 the, if there's another enemy coming to wipe them out and only them out, mm-hmm. then that's good for humanity because they'll do their job for them. Right. But I think I also see what you're saying is in that there there has to be a very personal reason that this enemy is coming. That they have to be mm-hmm. coming after the Eshveni in order for humans to have any fighting chance. If they're if they're just on a course of destruction around the galaxy, then humans are just going to be as SOL as they are now. That's right. Well, probably more so if these are capable of just simply destroying the Ishveni. Uh, sorry, Mark says that Lexi has Cortexafeni in her. <laughs> That's awesome, nice. Mark. That's nice, Mark. All right, one more here. This is what Justina has to say. So the enemy's current goal is to harness adults. But in the ghetto camps where they're taking adults by force and trying to harness them is not working. So what if what's going on in the West is they're sending a clear path with no obstacles and a repeating radio message to tell people where to go. And then once they arrive there, everything is so calm and peaceful and they lull them into a sense of trust that may make their minds more malleable to taking the harness and make them easier to control because they are more trusting. That Dude. makes way too much sense. She totally Please nailed no. that one. <laughs> Please no. That's oh. a really good thought. <laughs> and you know, and that and that again brings us back to the stand by Stephen King. I mean, that is exactly how I remember feeling is that all these people are bring, being led west to the man in black and and it just does not look like it's going to end well. It's the same, yeah. but yeah clear open path all the way to him and then once you get there you realize what his true intentions are yeah that's right they come back and hit you with a truck <laughs> steal your heart then steal oh, your wait. heart cover your heart oh i thought i knew what you were talking about now i don't know i was talking about indiana jones and the temple of doom okay short round encouraging indy to cover his heart okay all right. All right. Good, good feedback from the listeners this week. Yeah. Thanks to everybody who sent stuff in. And we want to hear from you next week. So give us a call on the Golden Spiral Media Voice feedback line. That number is 304-837-2278. You can also head over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. From there, you can use our SpeakPipe widget to record your uh, your feedback. You can upload an audio file. Or you can just type out your your thoughts and submit them via a little form that we have there. So, again, that's goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. The deadline for submitting your feedback is Tuesdays at 6 o'clock, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. You ready for some Twitter action? Indeed. 
looks like we got a couple responses. So the question that we asked was, what is your theory on Ben's physical connection to Monk? And we have Bianca Christine, who says, I think all overlords can transfer feelings, memories, pleasure, pain to any harnessed being within a certain distance. I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Solo Talk Media says, I think the connection was always there. We just never saw an overlord harmed while connected to a harnessed person. I would say that would be valid. And in addition to that, didn't we see Denny freak out when uh, Anne murdered that skitter while she was connected? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I forgot about that scene. Yeah, I did too. Hmm. And Jovial Falcon says... I always assumed there was a difference between harnessed and what Ben is now. Stepdad is draining the life from him. Stepdad. Nice. Stepdad. <laughs> Mike, <laughs> don't go there. <laughs> yeah. And Barb said, overlords have stronger pull than skitters, and once attached to the individual is never really free. Alien DNA remains. Oh, Barb, why do you come up with these theories? They freak me out. <laughs> Barb is like your 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 nemesis on on the theories oh. that she throws out. How just, do we make that's... this show as worse as we can for Emily? <laughs> You're sucking away everything I love about this show. No, I'm just kidding. It's like she wakes up today. I mean, what are we going to do today, Barb? Mm, think of ways to irritate Emily. <laughs> I think what, what's hardest about her theories is that they could very likely be correct oh sure they yeah fit, they fit very well yeah. <laughs> oh maybe it is the human's necessity to fight the alien mm-hmm. dna within them <laughs> she's reminding you they're all wrong that's right that's right <laughs> well then why do you even bother saying them <laughs> you just you just want to injure me don't you <laughs> she does that's her that's her oh. goal in life Barb, that's my goal, too, by the way. We're on the same team. (laughs) (laughs) Well, despite my uh, rather indifference to this episode, I always enjoy talking about it. And always there's some really good stuff that comes out in our discussions, even if we don't really like the show. Wouldn't you say? Definitely, and and uh, it's it's a it's a fun show to watch. It's a it's a fun show to talk about, and and, yeah, uh, yeah, really, really. Enjoyed it very much. And uh, we'd love to get your thoughts on the BC Twit Twitter poll question next week. So follow us on Twitter at GSM Podcasts. Of course, you can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Golden Spiral Media. But then you don't get to answer the cool BC Twit questions. So Twitter nope. really is your preferable choice here. If you're going to do the BC Twit, you got to be on Twitter. Right. And every week we record a live show on Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And you can join our live show. We're chatting with some people in the chat room right now uh, by going to www.goldenspiralmedia.com slash live. Indeed. Hey, one last thing before we wrap up here. I want to give a thank you to Falling Skies Sandy and Leo178 because they left us some iTunes reviews. Oh, hey, thanks, guys. Yeah, so if you want to head on over to iTunes, do a search for BerserkerCast, we'll pull right up and you can leave us a review and we would be 
humbled and grateful if you would do that right. for us. Thank you. And you know, we've got some other new episodes or podcasts that have released as well with the Chester's Mill Gazette Under the Dome podcast, Extant podcast, which is called Dark Matter. And we have the new Arrow Squad podcast. If you want to go over to you know iTunes while you're over on iTunes and pull those up and give those guys some reviews, I know they would appreciate it as well. Well, Daryl, anything else on your mind? Nope. I think my mind is empty. I've emptied mine too. It is completely hollow in there now. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, then until next week, remember that it's always easy to get carried away by aliens. And resistance is never, ever futile. <laughs>